listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast. What is up, Buddha Nation? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast presented by Boot Crew Media and DraftKings. I'm your host, Chris Wazvoglu, as always. And with OTAs in full swing for a lot of NFL teams, it finally kind of feels like football season is somewhat back. We'll hopefully get some practice clips within the next couple of days and see who's working, who's not working. Um, you know, a lot of talk about Michael Thomas being back in the building, which I will discuss in a little bit. And of course, uh, you know, what are the storylines? Which players do you want to hear about, whether they're improving or, or maybe not improving? And that'll be a telling sign for what they'll be able to accomplish this upcoming season. So I'll talk a little bit about that. Obviously, I want to really focus in on Michael Thomas, too, because I think his return to the Saints building is big. And then I also want to cover kind of the narrative surrounding this team. I think I know it's just May and football season is still about what is like three and a half months away. But it does kind of feel like for some reason we're already starting the New Orleans Saints discourse about whether or not they're actually good. And it's just a little tiring. Like, why is it already beginning? I'll talk about that as well. But before I do that, I want to quickly and not even quickly. I just want to shift gears and talk about what happened yesterday in Texas. And I know some people are going to listen right now and be like, I listened to you to to to, you know, get talk about Saints football and hear what's going on with them. And I will get to that. I, I absolutely will. Um, but yesterday was tough, man. And I know for the most part, people who, you know, even people I don't interact with on Twitter, but I know a lot that I, that I do are, are still talking about it. And I, I've gotten to the point and maybe this is messed up to, to kind of see it this way, but like, I feel like we're all somewhat like trapped and we live in this dark world, especially, you know, right now with the way our country is that it's an endless cycle where I turn on the news and something terrible happens. And you think to yourself, that's awful. It can't happen again. Something needs to change. Seven days later, it just happens again. And then we do the same thing and we do the same thing and the same thing. Nothing gets done. And yet this time felt like 30 times worse because there are children at stake here. And I wish I could say this will be the turning point for the life that we live. And I'll never have to turn on the TV again and worry about, you know, another school getting shot up or kids being in harm's way. But I've I've always told myself if things didn't change with Sandy Hook, with, with six-year-olds, was I just thought thought it was never going to change, and as someone who, I, you know, I'm I'm a paranoid human being by nature, but even if I wasn't, with the world that we live in, we've gotten to the point where it feels like I can't go, or you can't go, or anyone can't go, to a sporting event and feel safe, or go to the movies and feel safe, or even just go to school, and I know that. I'm basically probably at this point for a lot of people just preaching to the choir because you feel the same way, but it's just something that I have to get off my chest because it should never be this way, especially for children, especially for children, because there is that innocence to them. They don't know they're, they're entering a world where they're just trying to figure out, Hey, what snacks do they like? Or who's going to be their friend uh, for elementary school? And 19, 10 year olds were killed yesterday. And, and I just don't understand how, we can sit here and we could all talk about it. And yet the people who have power to actually 
try and make some type of positive change, nothing gets done. And as someone who, you know, just lives and breathes sports, why does the most vocal and most passionate rant yesterday come from Steve Kerr? And honestly, kudos to Steve Kerr because it was a great speech. And and for anyone who knows Steve Kerr's backstory with his dad and whatnot, you understand why he is so passionate about this topic. And even if that didn't happen to his father, he probably still would be passionate about this topic because he cares about this stuff. A basketball coach should not be the person who needs to be the voice of reason that everyone in America looks to, to and says, that's what we need to hear and that's what we need right now. Like The people who have the power to make a difference – I hope they will. And as someone whose sister, you know, my younger sister just started getting into teaching. She's been teaching for about a year now. Every day I have to to sit here and kind of hope she comes home safe. And that's a scary world to live in. I can't imagine what the parents of the kids who were killed yesterday are going through. And if someone's going to sit here and listen to my podcast and complain that I just spent the first five minutes of today's episode talking about this. I, I don't feel, I, I don't apologize because it's something that needs to be said. And just tweeting out thoughts and prayers because every politician loves to do that. That is not doing anything. That is not, that's not doing anything. People who are your average citizens who genuinely care and they will send their thoughts and prayers. That's all they can do. But the ones who have the power an opportunity to make a difference and they're not doing it, shame on you, man. Shame on you. So that said, I, I, I will jump into Saints talk. I, you know, I'm not going to apologize for getting into that rant because you, there's no way, there's no way you can be an American right now and not be frustrated and not be frustrated with the state of our country. It, it's getting fucking tiring, man. And, and it's just tough, but let me get into Saints talk because I know for a lot of people, sports is the way that you can kind of for a little bit, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, tune out the noise and, and kind of enjoy yourself. So let's get into that. Let's talk about Michael Thomas. So Nick Underhill earlier this week reported that Michael Thomas is back in the facility. Doesn't know if he'll do any work in terms of training and stuff for OTAs. But the fact that Michael Thomas is back in the building, I think that that is great news for the Saints, obviously. And more importantly, I think we can stop this notion that Michael Thomas and the Saints are still on bad terms. People will let you know if they're on bad terms with someone. It could be a petty tweet. It could be them just ignoring them, paying them no peace of mind. If Michael Thomas can't even, you know, if he's not ready to take those next steps in terms of workouts yet, like he's still ramping up, but he's showing, he's going to the Saints facility, showing up there that's a pretty good sign that he is ready to rock with the Saints. Like, all the talk about whether or not he's bought in, I don't want to hear it anymore. Like, he is bought in, very clearly bought in. And I am super stoked to even see a report that comes out that says he's in the building because you guys know, at least for me, I am one of the bigger Michael Thomas fans out there. Now, I know I'm not supposed to be a fan, because you're supposed to be unbiased about stuff, but I, I genuinely think Michael Thomas, when he's healthy, when he's on his game, he is one of those guys. He's just a plug-and-play. You put him on any team, they're going to get immediately better. So it is great to hear that he's there. Now, he probably still needs more work to do in terms of his rehab and whatnot because that is a tough injury, and he, and he had to go in and get it cleaned up, and it's a long process. But 
I think we can now start to have that conversation about what can we expect from Michael Thomas because any talk about whether or not he'll be here this year, that is that is gone now. Like he he's ready to go. He is back. And now it becomes what version of Michael Thomas are we going to see? And I think for Michael Thomas, it's important to remember when he was at his best, he wasn't just a really good wide receiver. He was the first wide receiver to win offensive player of the year since Jerry Rice, since the GOAT wide receiver. And in that one year, in that, that year that he was healthy, the last year that he was fully healthy, 149 catches, over 1,700 yards, nine touchdowns. It was a, a, an incredible season. And the thing that made Mike so special, and this is why I always laughed at the, the slant boy comments and the Drew Brees made him comment. Drew Brees missed time, and Michael Thomas elevated his game in some place. That game against the Bucs, over 180 yards, two scores, best game of the season, that came with Teddy Bridgewater. And even the year after, bad ankle, hurts at week one, tried to fight through it. He had two 100-yard games with Taysom Hill. So he's become almost quarterback-proof, right? Because I've, I've heard some discussions about, do we know if Jameis and Michael Thomas will work well together? Is that going to be a good pairing? Look, I, I know I usually say time tells the story for almost everything, but I think for Michael Thomas, if he is healthy, we've seen enough to say that he is quarterback-proof. And it doesn't matter if him and Jameis don't have maybe the the chemistry that him and Breeze had. They'll find a way to make it work because Teddy Bridgewater just stepped in off the bench and all of a sudden Mike was just racking up 100-yard games with a touchdown each time. So I'm not worried at all about that factor. It just comes down to what's the ankle at because it was a serious injury. And I think for Mike, the thing that made him so special is how violent of a route runner he is. Just, just downright violent route runner, physical with his hands physical with the way he makes cuts. And if those cuts aren't as explosive as they once were because of the ankle injury, then we got to recalibrate our expectations for him a little bit. Now, I think if you go into this Saints season expecting Michael Thomas to be Offensive Player of the Year 2019 good Michael Thomas, I think that's a little bit unfair. Actually, I think that's really unfair, not even a little bit. However, he doesn't need to be that good for the Saints to be successful. And... I've had this conversation with a couple of people on Twitter, like uh, Alec, who I, I genuinely like, James, who I really like. Uh, I forgot who else was talking about it with. Uh, so if, if I'm missing you here, I apologize for it. But we we're kind of talking about what to expect from Michael Thomas. I think also um, Kobe was talking about it, but we were going through it. And we were saying that even if he's 75 to 80% of Michael Thomas, right, of what we've expected – that's still probably like an 1,100-yard, 1,200-yard receiver. And that's still really damn good. Like, that makes the Saints offense infinitely better than they were last season. So, I think for Michael Thomas, him coming back, that is great. That is excellent news. The Saints getting Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry, so there isn't so much pressure on Michael Thomas to be 2019 Michael Thomas. That is also great. But then you just look at Mike Thomas's track record. And you bring up the years that he's healthy. So get rid of 2020. 2016 as a rookie, over 1,100 yards. 2017, second year, over 1,200 yards. 2018, his third year, over 1,400 yards. Then 2019, the over 1,700 yards. So his worst season fully is as a rookie with 92 catches for 1,100 yards. I just think when the track record's there and we really haven't seen this dude go under 1,000, at any point, unless he misses basically the whole season because of a, a ankle injury, that's a serious one. I think, like, how can your expectations for Michael Thomas not be 
1K plus, right? Because there's been a little bit of debate about, uh, is he going to be their number one wide receiver? Well, I think even if he's 80% of what we expect from Michael Thomas, I still think he will be wide receiver one. And I do think that he will still get over 1,000 yards. Now, again, do not go into this season expecting that he will be 2019 Michael Thomas. If he ends up being 2019 Michael Thomas, then golly, that changes the whole thing, right? Because then you're looking at the Saints offense differently. You're looking at the team differently, by the way, because Michael Thomas in 2019 was a damn near MVP candidate. So you would look at this team entirely different. So you're expecting more of a 2017-ish Michael Thomas, 2016 maybe Michael Thomas, which is still a really, really damn good wide receiver. And if that happens, then we can talk about how good this passing attack can be if he's even better than that. So just be really pumped that he's back in the building. Ignore any talk about, oh, the Saints got to get rid of Michael Thomas or this isn't working. They're not on the same page. They're on the same page. It can't be any more clear than it is right now. And I, for one, am excited because I do think that Michael Thomas is the difference for what the Saints can be, offensively speaking. Like, when you look at last year's team, if Michael Thomas was healthy, they're making the playoffs. Like, I, I fully feel, I fully believe that. So, if he's in there, they're a better team, obviously, with 13 out there. And then, depending on 13's percentage of what he, we've seen him be, that will dictate how good they can be. Because just him being out there changes the whole thing. If he's elite, all of a sudden, we have a different conversation about the Saints. So, I'll talk about the Saints... And whether or not they can be elite in just a couple minutes. Before I do that, though, I want to just quickly mention three to four guys when, when you're talking about offseason workouts and OTAs that I want to hear about. And the first one for me is Peyton Turner. Peyton Turner, it was a year to forget in the sense that, look, he got drafted. No one saw that pick coming. Uh, and you know what? Maybe it's a good thing because it gave us that video of Ryan that was probably the best thing. Him, him and Adam were, were just cracking up on their podcast when they when they did their um, their live stream. And, you know kudos to that moment. So I guess I'm glad that they took Peyton Turner in the sense that we got that hilarious moment from, from Ryan and Adam. But outside of that, that was the highlight of the year, right? Because he missed a lot of time in camp, comes in, plays well in his debut against the Panthers. I thought he was really good. And then we really don't see him again. And it's a shame because I thought when Peyton Turner did play, he looked way more advanced early on in his career than Marcus Davenport did. And why do I bring up Marcus Davenport? Well, those two have been compared nonstop, and those comparisons will never go away. So I think for him, how does he look? Does he look even more polished? Does he look explosive? And even maybe if he didn't take those necessary steps that we thought he should take in terms of your one or your two, did he get better? Is he healthy? Because if he is healthy, that's another weapon for the Saints defensive line, which I think will be much improved this season. And if he is out there, all of a sudden, the Saints will have a defensive line that's starting to look like the front court of the Pelicans, and that's good news when you're going up against the Tom Brady's of the world and, and other good NFC quarterbacks. You want to wear them down with a good defensive line, so I'm curious to see what's going on with Peyton Turner. Another defensive player that I want to hear about is Alante Taylor. Um, that was a, a pick similar to Peyton Turner when it happened. We all kind of went like, who is this? Or like, why this pick? It just didn't seem like the natural fit. And then you start to watch Alante Taylor's game more and you see the size, you see the athleticism, you see the speed, you see the versatility of being able to play corner and safety. And then you start to go, okay, yeah, Saints got a type. We understand this. Whether or not he will pan out like the others who fit that mold, that is still yet to be seen. But I am very interested to see how Alante Taylor plays 
against better competition, right? Because the jump from rookie minicamp all of a sudden to OTAs, it's so it's so huge that you know you don't know how someone's gonna fare against that uptick in competition. So I'm really curious to see what happens there for Alante Taylor. The third player that I want to hear about is Adam Troutman. I, I talked about Adam Troutman on Twitter earlier this week and I was kind of surprised by the responses. And and the reason I was surprised is like I know Adam Troutman didn't play well last season. Like it was a disappointing year for a player who we thought would take that next step. But there are so many people who like responded, I don't even know Troutman's tight end two. And I was like, what fucking roster are you looking at? Like Adam Troutman is tight end one by default. And this isn't because of his own merit. It's just look at the guys around the room. Taysom Hill is shifting to tight end, but A, he's not even healthy right now. And B, we don't know how good he can be at that position. That's one option. Juwan Johnson made some really fun catches last year. His juggling act during the during pregame warmups is awesome. And trust me, I would like to see Juwan Johnson become a weapon for the Saints. But until that day comes, we got to put him in the same boat as Adam Troutman, if not lesser, because we know he still has to get new to this position where Troutman doesn't have to get new to the position. Nick Vanette. Nick Vanette, there is not a single ounce of explosive playmaking ability to him. Can he run block? Yes. Can you throw him out on bootlegs and kind of get him going to the play action game? Yeah, sure. I mean, he made some decent plays, probably thinking of the Cowboys Thursday night game as the one to boot. But that's it. Like, there's nothing crazy special there. Now, Lucas Kroll, the pit uh, tight end, undrafted rookie. Everyone's talking about him. Someone gave him a really cool nickname, Kroll the Conqueror. So whoever made that, kudos to you because that's pretty damn awesome. He's an undrafted rookie for a reason. Like, even if he does make the roster, what are the odds that he just jumps Troutman? So, whether you like it or not, Adam Troutman's probably your tight end one this year. And last season was disappointing. And the best game he had, he got hurt in. That was against the Eagles. What is year three going to hold? Tight end is a very sneaky, hard position to learn on the fly. Everyone talks about quarterback. Everyone talks about cornerback. Those are the ones that people talk about in terms of, oh, it's so hard to learn and, you know, the, the, the adjustment period's so tough. But the reality is tight ends pretty damn hard too. I mean, look around the league. How many good tight ends can you name? Like, yes, Kittle's great and Travis Kelsey's great and Darren Waller's great and guys like Kyle Pitts are emerging and they're good. But I look around the NFL and there aren't that many good tight ends. There aren't, you know, you have occasional years where people break out like Dalton Schultz last year, but there aren't 10 elite tight ends. There are maybe four elite tight ends or three, I would say. And then there's another three to four really good tight ends after that, like your Gesicki's, like uh, your Kyle Pitts and your Dalton Schultz's and guys of that nature. But after that, man, it's it's a hard position to learn. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how Troutman fares in year three. And then the fourth guy, Another year three player, Cesar Ruiz, for the love of God, can they just be a step forward? It could be one step. It could be a step and a half. It could be half a step. Just It's got to be forward because they can't keep going backwards with him because there were moments last year two to come to the top of my mind. The Dolphins game on Monday night and the Panthers game, I believe it was like week three. No, week two, excuse me. Those cannot happen ever again. He was that bad. So, I'm hoping with Doug Marone at offensive line coach, that leads to an improvement in Cesar Ruiz. And if that does lead to an improvement in Cesar Ruiz, all of a sudden, the offensive line looks a lot different, right? Because you know what you're getting from McCoy, and you know what you're getting from Ramchek. And whether or not people want to admit it, you know what you're getting from Andrews Pete. 
really good in the screen game, occasionally really good in the run in the run game from time to time, but you know he's going to get blown up enough times to drive you up a wall, so you kind of know what you're getting there. If Cesar Reese takes that next step, that would help this O-line. So again, Peyton Turner, Alante Taylor, Adam Troutman, Cesar Ruiz, those are the guys I'm looking at. I'm sure there's a bunch more, and I could probably go in-depth even further, but I don't want to just give you a whole list of the roster. Those are four players that I'm really curious to see, whether it's OTAs, just any type of off-season workout program, how are they performing this year? I'm curious to see how that unfolds. Now, the last thing before I wrap this up, I've noticed over the last couple of days, we've reached that point in the off-season, right, where people are making their power rankings and discussing who's a contender, who's not, which is hilarious because it takes either one injury or just a couple of unexpected things to just, just completely throw that thing into the trash. But when I see people ranking teams and talking about NFC contenders, everyone's a little hesitant on the Saints, right? Like I've seen uh, Peter King, who's one of the better NFL writers out there. He didn't put them up towards his top 10. I've seen Nick Wright say they were, I believe, eight and nine. I saw Ross Tucker saying he believes they're an eight-win team and that's the ceiling. And And look, the Saints might win eight games. They might win less than eight games, but... I think when you're making your preseason stuff, a lot of it is going off the roster you have in front of you and how they played last year, right? So if that's the, that is the criteria we're going off of, I don't understand for the life of me how we can look at last year's Saints team, which won, by the way, nine games with four different quarterbacks starting, with no offensive talent, with their two offensive tackles who are all pros getting injured nonstop, with key defensive players missing from time to time. They won nine games. And if the Rams didn't choke to the 49ers in week 18, they would have been a playoff team. So that's one. How about the roster part? I know the Saints lost Marcus Williams, and I know the Saints lost Teron Armstead. There is no, you know, going over that and saying, ah, we could brush over those losses. Like, those are big losses. I get that. And I know Malcolm Jenkins retired. But the Saints did a good job in terms of, A, addressing their main need, wide receiver, and two addressing those areas of weakness, right? They lost Armstead. They bring in Trevor Penning. Hopefully he can develop. They lose Marcus Williams. They bring in Marcus May. They lose Malcolm Jenkins. They bring in Tyron Matthew. Hopefully those dudes can end up actually being a comparable, if not better, safety duo. We'll see how that unfolds. The Saints know they need wide receiver help. They get Chris Olave. They sign Jarvis Landry. And now Michael Thomas is coming back. So the roster part, check. The criteria of last year's team was last year's team competitive. Yes, and it wasn't as talented, I would say, on paper as this year's team. So I guess my question is, are we doing this Saints discourse because we know that it will get people like me and Saints fans to get riled up and talk about it? Because if so, I clap and I commend you because it worked. So that is a great way of just kind of throwing the bait and reeling it in. But if you're doing it because you actually feel like the Saints aren't that good, my question is, what team in the NFC outside of the Rams are definitively better on paper and in terms of the criteria better than the Saints in the NFC, I should add? Because I said, Rams, I'll give it to them. The defending champs, their roster's great. They got a great quarterback in Matt Stafford. They improved. They added Bobby Wagner. They added Allen Robinson. They made some nice tweaks to their roster. But the Bucks. How many more times do the Bucs have to get shellacked by the, by the Saints for us to be like, okay, like, let's give the Saints their props. The Cowboys, how many more times does Dallas have to win a weak division and they get bounced in the first round of the playoffs for you to realize they're really not as good as you may want them to be? How about the Eagles? I think the Eagles are in the same exact boat as the Saints, right? 
Really talented roster, had a decent run last year with not as much talent. They improved in the offseason on paper. And their only question is if their coach-quarterback combo is going to work, which if you're a Saints fan, the only question you really have is if this Dennis Allen-Jameis Winston thing is going to work. And if it does, just like Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni, this thing's taken off and they're going to be a competitor uh, and and a, a really good threat in the NFC. So... When I see people praise the Eagles, right, for the offseason they had, for the roster they have, for their outlook, and then they go and they say they're not high on the Saints, they're the same team. Like, they're the same exact team. What would make you think that that's different? So that confuses me. How about the Packers? Same boat in terms of the Bucks. Like, the Saints have shown they can go toe-to-toe with the, the Packers. And the Packers got worse this offseason, losing Devontae Adams. Losing Zadarius Smith. Yes, they upgraded, I would say, on young talent defensively in the draft. But outside of that, I mean, this is a roster that I'm looking around and they got problems of their own. So I'm not sure the Packers are better. The 49ers, that is a team that plays the Saints well. And that is a team that I could see being a contender in the NFC. But they need Trey Lance to play solid football. Like average football like Jimmy Garoppolo did. And if anything's over that, then the 49ers are definitely a contender. But there's still a concern there, right? There's a question mark. The Cardinals, another team similar to the Cowboys. How many more times do you need to see Arizona win September, win half of October, and then fall off a cliff, and it just gets it gets worse and worse, November, December, and people are okay with that? Like, I find that so odd. That team always peaks in September, and yet they always get their roses and their flowers, and I just don't understand it. So when you're talking about the NFC, and you're breaking down the picture of who's a contender, who's not a contender, make sure when you're talking about the Saints, the same criteria that you hold against them and the the same reasons that you say you are not confident in in them, just make sure when you're looking at other NFC teams, you realize that it makes no sense because a lot of teams are in the same boat as the Saints. 49ers, Eagles, Saints. Those three teams, rosters there, Seems like the coach might be there. We know they have playoff experience, but what is the quarterback going to do? All all three teams. Why aren't all three teams talked about the same? I don't know. Cowboys, Cardinals, for all the things you say you don't like about the Saints, guess what? At least I know that the Saints, when it's crunch time and it's late in the year, they play good football. Cowboys and Cardinals always start off hot and they fade towards the end. So it's just funny to me. I don't want to get too worked up over this. But I, I just thought it had to be said because I'm, I'm going through these lists and I know that like the NFL season is unpredictable. You can't find a single person outside of Bengals fans who genuinely thought last year the Bengals would make the Super Bowl. And I don't even know if Bengals fans thought that they would make the Super Bowl. So things change on a dime in the NFL. And I know that there are probably teams out there that maybe we think highly of that won't be good next season and teams that we're not talking about right now that will surprise people next year. That's the NFL. That's what we love about this sport. It is so unpredictable. But man, when you're doing one of these on paper projecting, looking at this team, what they did last year, what they did in the offseason, how do you think the Saints got worse? I won't understand it. I can't understand it. It just confuses the hell out of me. So I'm curious to know what you guys think about basically everything here, uh, the, the discourse with the Saints, which players you're interested to hear about in terms of OTAs, offseason workouts, what they're doing there, and then Michael Thomas being back in the facility, how hyped are you about that? But again... Leave all your comments below on the Boo Crew Media YouTube page, and I will get to them. And also make sure you subscribe if you haven't. And before I go, with the NBA Finals coming up, 
And I know it seems like this playoffs have been a little bit of a bore ever since the Pelican Sun series. There is a chance you can kind of have some fun and get in on the action. So with the NBA Finals, you can bet any $5 NBA bet and you get $150 in free bets instantly on DraftKings Sportsbook. So all you have to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code BOOT, which you will see at the bottom, all caps. And you make any $5 bet on any NBA Finals bet that is available. And if you win, you get $150 in free bets instantly. So that's promo code BOOT only at DraftKings Sportsbook. A pretty cool deal for you guys to enjoy the NBA Finals. But again, guys, let me know what you thought about these Saints topics. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what players you're interested in hearing about for OTAs. And I'm also curious, like, do you get frustrated by the Saints discourse? Do you think this Saints kind of discussion that happens is purposely done to kind of rile us up and kind of think it is? So I'm always curious to know what you guys think about that. If I do not have another podcast in the next couple of days, just want to tell you guys, I hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend coming up. Hope you guys are stay safe. And again, let's see how this offseason goes because it's, it's starting to ramp up and I'm pretty damn excited. So stay tuned for more content here on the Straight Up Saints podcast, the destination. You're listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast.